0: Taking your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah, the closing chapter. One, one pastor has titled his series on Jonah, The Prodigal Prophet, Chapter 1, The Praying Prophet, Chapter 2, The Preaching Prophet, Chapter 3, and now The Pouting Prophet, Chapter 4. Jonah has a rough time, it seems. You see, we go through this book of Jonah, it's one of the 12 minor prophets, and we find Jonah, he's the prophet of God. But he's taught us a lot about ourselves, and even more, he's taught us about God. He's a seasoned prophet, but we find that he still has a lot of areas, like us, that he needs to grow in. He's not there yet. He's seen some wonderful things. He's witnessed one of the most amazing revivals of all time. And it doesn't seem to faze him a bit. He still seems cold to what God wants him to do. You would imagine that his whole experience in the belly of a fish for three days would would cure anything, right? But he's still hard. See, there's too much of himself in his own heart. There's not enough of God in his heart yet. But God, even though we're in a state like that where we're so self-focused, he still seeks us in our misery. He wants us to have joy. So he graciously comes to us and he asks how we're doing. And through this text in chapter 4, God asks, no; he asked Jonah again and again, how are you doing? What are you doing? You see, what he's trying to do is to prick Jonah's conscience to get him to turn back to him. So my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's talk today about questions from God. Let's pray. Father, we desire as we consider this text to understand what Would Jonah would have us know, and the reason that he wrote this book in the first place. Father, we identify with him, we identify with not understanding God as we ought, and we ask that today our hearts would be um, just opened up so that we would be truthful about our thoughts about you, God, and that we would acknowledge you for the gracious God that you are, and we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps you've seen a TV show where they're in a courtroom and the folks are talking and the witnesses are answering questions, and all of a sudden one of the lawyers stands to his feet and says, I object. You see, that defense lawyer thinks that the prosecuting lawyer has said something inappropriate in a court of law, and therefore he stands up to give a defense, states that he objects. Now when we get to Jonah chapter 4, we turn the page and we have this, well, I object, We anticipate in Jonah chapter 4 that we would find Jonah saying he is rejoicing in everything that God's doing, but instead he says, I'm not happy with this. I object, God. You see, sometimes man comes face to face with the fact that man's ways are not God's ways, and God's ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes we think that god isn't doing what he ought to do we act on a thimble full of knowledge and wisdom our vast wisdom and god is acting on all the wisdom and knowledge in the universe that there ever is we don't understand why god does what he does that's because we're full of sin and therefore god's ways bewilder us sometimes we get really really worked up sometimes we get mad we get ticked what is god doing now, outwardly, we, we continue the, the Christian show of doing all the good things, doing what God asks us to do, but inwardly, inwardly, we're torn up. We're not doing good at all. We don't like what God is doing. We don't like the relationship we have with God. It's rotten right now, and that's where we find Jonah. Jonah doesn't think that God has done what he's supposed to do. God thinks that Jonah shouldn't have showed mercy and, and graciousness to the Ninevites, And now, it ends up coming out. In Jonah chapter 4, the true colors come to the surface, and it reminds us that this is how someone looks when they don't trust the Lord, this is how we look when we don't trust the Lord, when we question God, when we say to God, you're not doing a very good job being God, and I have a better idea for you. You see, Jonah is so self-focused that he can't focus on the Lord, therefore he resists the Lord. But what this text of the Bible teaches us is that we need to trust God, who is wise and good. We need to trust him to do the best thing and trust that when he does it, we rejoice in what he does. You see, from time to time we question God. We find this in the first five verses of the chapter. And when we question God, we may even become very angry. Jonah did that. Look at the text. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Again, we, we think as we turn the page that Jonah is going to rejoice at the deliverance that God gives, and, he's, and it's going to say, and Jonah went home, having done his job. That's what we anticipate is happening here. But no, Jonah thinks that the graciousness of God, the deliverance of Nineveh, is evil. The text literally says it was evil to Jonah, a great evil. He is ticked. God has shown mercy to the Ninevites, and that's making Jonah mad. He was hoping for Sodom and Gomorrah. He was hoping for fire and brimstone, and God showed mercy. How could he do this? You have to remember who these people were. The Ninevites were butchers. These were the folks who made pyramids from the body parts of the people they conquered. These were the people who made t- torture techniques. That torture techniques. They were precursors to the Roman crucifixion. These people knew how to kill people and make it hurt. These people were wicked. And God showed these people mercy. Are you kidding me? You see, sometimes we think that God is not doing the right thing when he shows mercy. When God perhaps... Would deliver someone like Isis? What do you show when he shows kindness to Isis? If he would show kindness to someone like someone who works for Planned Parenthood, people who are doing violence, who we would think they deserve the full force of God's wrath, let them be firewood. That's what they ought to be. So we question well, God, why are you doing this? So there are times in our life when we think that God's goodness to other people is actually evil. When God's not doing what we want him to do, he's not doing our will. Therefore, we may still obey God and go preach to the Ninevites, but truly in our hearts, we're not submissive at all. We We don't understand what God's doing. He's out of line. We perform on the outside and protest on the inside. You see, it's possible to obey God and yet to still have a selfish, stubborn heart. James Boyce once said, For this reason, many Christians look and act miserable much of the time. It's because what's on the inside betrays our good conduct on the outside. The problem is, what's on the inside eventually comes out. That's what we see in verse 2 and 3. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah tells God, "God, you're being too gracious." Jonah believed that God was supposed to be angry at them. He said that he's disappointed in him because he's not doing what a God who is who is upright and righteous, he's not doing what a God is supposed to do. He's getting it wrong. You see, It's so easy to get angry like this because Jonah's not getting what he wanted in life. These folks were wicked. They obviously would have been enemies of Israel, and he was disappointed that God didn't wipe them out. You see, disappointment is one of the worst things that can ever breed bitterness and distrust of God. Spurgeon said, Discouragement is one of Satan's chief tools. With it, he pries open the door of sin so that discouraged saints will commit sin they never would have dreamed of doing. Disappointment and discouragement leads to uncharacteristic sins in our lives. We are blind to them so many times. So we, like Jonah, stand in judgment over God. God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Therefore, Jonah criticizes God foolishly for misusing his grace. He knew what God was like, he knew what God would do. He knew it because he had studied the Scriptures. He'd read back in the law, where Moses had revealed, according to Exodus thirty thirty-four six, he knew that Moses said, The Lord before the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jonah knew that really old text of Scripture. But he believed that that scripture was only for the covenant people of God. You remember, in context, the people had fallen into idolatry with the golden calf. And to those chosen people of God, the Lord was slow to anger and gracious to them. And Jonah was really happy about that. It is fine for God to be gracious towards me, but gracious towards someone else? No. No. He can be gracious to me, but not towards someone else. That's what he's mad about. God's not getting this right. So he knew the scripture, but he misapplied the text. He thought, yes, God is merciful, but he can only be merciful to me. And you see in these two verses, verses two and three, nine times in the Hebrew text, it says, I or my or me. You see, he just keeps talking about himself. He can't get over his own ideas about himself and what ought to be happening that pleases him. ever we're focused on ourselves like this, we think that God is doing the wrong thing when he shows kindness and goodness to other people. It's not the idea that we as Christians ought to have. It's not the idea that Jonah ought to have. This actually sounds like Matthew 18. Matthew 18, or Luke 18, where the Pharisee says, hey, I'm great, and God ought to think great things about me. I'm not like them. I do great things, and I deserve all this. And that person, obviously, does not deserve the favor of God. I do. You see, the Pharisee is so self focused that God can't be good to anyone else. That's not fair. He can only be good to me. So he gets angry and throws a fit, and he advises God to kill him. Look at verse 3. Now therefore, O God, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah can no longer handle this abuse. That God is being kind to other people and not me alone. And he's not going to stand for it. So he throws a fit. You see, we come to the point where we sometimes think, God, you're not doing very good when it comes to being God. I have a better suggestion for you. But when we try to, one hand, please God, and then on the other hand we say, this is how you need to act, God, we're being double-minded in every way. We're kind of rough to, li- we're kind of rough to live with because we're trying to please God and trying to please ourselves. We're trying to say we're a debtor to grace, but we, we're, we despise God for the grace he gives other people. It's really strange. But at this point in the story, and as I was going through my studies, I really feel this. At this point in the story, what would you do if you were God? Wouldn't you just kind of reach down? <laughs> Wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you just backhand the prophet? What is he doing? He's going off on a tantrum, but the Lord comes to him and graciously, despite his tantrum, says, Do you do well to be angry? This is an easy question the Lord asks, but Jonah obviously doesn't like Lord answering asking this question, but the Lord is coming to him patiently, and he's addressing this this conversation that Jonah's trying to have with him, even though he's just being extremely angry and bickering at God. You see, there are times to times there are, comes time and time again that we walk away from God, and God just comes comes back to us, graciously tries to draw us back to Himself. He doesn't say to Jonah, "Now, Jonah, you're the sorriest preacher I've ever had. I can't believe you do that." I'm done with you. I'm going to get someone else. See, God is not like that. He is gracious to us. And he asks questions. say, why is it so important to ask questions? I spent a long time at Bob Jones University, part of the Dean of Life, Dean of Students staff. And I had to confront a a lot of students, hundreds, when I was there. And I learned, especially as I was taught, questions prick the conscience. Assertions harden the will. When you go in to meet with a young man, do not start making assertions. You need to start by asking questions. You need to get their conscience moving, or you're not going to get anywhere. What the Lord is doing graciously here is he's trying to stir the conscience of his wayward child. He wants to express Kindness and mercy to him and, and show him that the way of God's mercy and deliverance is, the, is, is what he needs to believe in not for just himself but for other people as well but Jonah's ticked what does Jonah do well he just walks away from God look at verse 5 and Jonah went out of the city didn't even respond to the Lord he went out sat in the east side of the city made a booth for himself he sat under it uh, in the shade till he, could, till he would see what would become of the city so what did Jonah do We'd call this pouting. Went and sat in the corner and pouted, hoping that God would be convinced by his pouting that he would change. The preacher walked away from the needy Ninevites, the ones he was called to. He was supposed to go preach to them. And he makes himself a a lean-to outside of the city where he cannot influence the people, where he should have been in there and among them. He becomes a spectator when the people needed discipling and the Lord. He just wanted God to change change. And destroy the people. He didn't want to admit that he had a wrong heart attitude and that he needed to change. But even though Jonah walks away from God, does God quit on him? No. God graciously seeks us in our sin. Verses 6 through 11. You see, he teaches us even when we sit in distrust of him. He uses three object lessons to teach Jonah about himself. And we find these object lessons whenever we see the word appointed. We already know that he's appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. He, he, the Lord's just grabbing anything he wants in his creation and using it to teach his his wayward child. So he, in verse six, appoints a plant. Look at verse six. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, and it might that it might give him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant see, God did a miracle, and he caused a plant to grow extremely fast, and it gave Jonah shade, it gave him comfort. And then it goes on to say that Jonah was very delighted by the plant. Now, isn't this incredibly ironic? The deliverance of the Ninevites was evil to Jonah, and then his own deliverance from discomfort by the shade of this plant is a joy, a great joy to Jonah. He's excited about the plant and doesn't care about the people. What is wrong with this guy? He seeks his own comfort, and he delights in his own comfort comfort from this plant that he didn't grow, that he didn't do anything about, but he rejoices in it and doesn't care about the people whom the Lord has been gracious to. He is so self-focused. He's just senseless at this point. But what does God do? Well, he's going to get his attention. He's going to use another object lesson. Look at verse 7. And when dawn came, the next day God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. So God's used a, a weed to grow and now he uses a worm to eat the weed and now he's going to use the wind. Look at verse 8. And then the sun rose, the Lord appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So the God, God uses all kinds of things in his creation to get our attention and he exploits Jonah's dif- discomfort in order to win him over. He's trying to get his attention and, and to prick his conscience. But Jonah... What does he do? He delights in a plant, and when he doesn't have the plant, he wants to die again. Look at verse eight. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. And this guy's just complaining and pouting. He's trying he's again playing the well just kill me, Lord. Just kill me. Before Jonah is angry because God used too much grace on the Ninevites. Now he's angry because life is more difficult than he deserves. God, I'm I'm not comfortable. And if you're not going to treat me like I deserve, just, just kill me. You know, he just doesn't think much of the Lord. doesn't care about what the Lord's doing. so focused upon himself. But the Lord continues to, to go after Jonah. And he reveals that he is worthy of Jonah's trust, verses 9 through the end. You see, Jonah, not God has been unreasonable. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Now, finally, Jonah's actually responding to God's question here, whereas before he just walks away in verse 5. But notice that there's a great difference between the questions in verse 4 and verse 9. The question in verse 4, God said, Do you do well to be angry? What was he talking about in that, that verse? Do you do well to be angry? About me delivering the people, the Ninevites. And now in verse nine it says, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? All right, which one is Jonah going to choose? Being angry over the plant or the people? He pities the plant. Verse ten The Lord said, You pitied the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. You see, this is incredibly unreasonable where man values something that is so temporal over people who have souls that will last forever. So Jonah has compassion on the wrong thing. He, he likes things a lot, not people. And he pities himself above other people. He pities his own com- comfort before other people's deliverance. And that is unreasonable. Yet there's an even greater principle than that. There's a greater principle than we have to pity people, not just our things. What is most important is verse 11. God has a prerogative to show mercy to whoever he wants. Look at verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So the Lord asked Jonah, doesn't the Creator have the prerogative to show mercy to any part of the creation I want? He does. He does. God has the prerogative. There are more than 120,000 individuals that God cares for there. People who are so sunk in sin that they do not know how to discern between right and wrong. So God God is going to open their eyes and he's going to have them turn from their sin and turn to him. But selfish people don't see value in God's mercy. Selfish people only see value in what God does for them. And anything that God does for other people is just wasted. See, General didn't think that God was being very good at being God. But what the Lord was trying to say is, I will show mercy whomsoever I will. And that is a prerogative that I have because I am the creator God and I am the person who gives out mercy. You do not determine that, Jonah. You see, God seeks people out and he teaches them by his grace. Even people like Jonah who, when they ought to be rejoicing in all of God's deliverance, he runs after them. You ever tried to run after someone who doesn't trust you and love them? That's what the Lord is doing. He cares about them. And we come to the end of the book and we think, what is, where's the next verse? Where does it go to next? What did Jonah do? What did he say? Did he turn? You know, we don't have any more verses in this book. But a question I have for you, or perhaps a reminder, who wrote this book? Jonah did, by inspiration of God. Jonah wrote this book. Who could have such insightful thoughts about himself and about man's sin nature than a person who has truly come to grips with his own sinfulness and God's graciousness. Don't you think Jonah, having had to write this kind of thing about himself, probably came to grips with where he went wrong? He came to grips with the fact that God is gracious, with the fact that God can deliver whomever he wants to. And instead of saying, God, I ought to be angry because of what you're doing, Say, Lord, you can deliver whoever you want, and I'll rejoice. If I can be a part of it, I'll rejoice. And we believe that Jonah learned that God is a gracious God to sinners, even to sinners who hate him and run from him, as Jonah did. So if Jonah learned that lesson, we can learn the lesson too. We can run from the Lord. We can think he's not doing the right thing. But the Lord still pursues us. And desires that we turn to him. And that is wonderful. That's what we learn. We learn about a wonderful gracious God. From the prophet Jonah. Let's pray. Father I ask that you would. Encourage us with who you are. And the kind of things you do. You know we are so quick. To, to quit. And to. Uh, uh, be very short fused with other folks. And uh, not to be slow to anger at all. Just to let them have it. But, Lord, you are so kind and gracious. And you give us such an example of being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and being merciful and gracious. Lord, just encourage us. Encourage us with that kind of a God that we worship and serve. Lord, that you don't take us out when we just slip and fall away. Father, you desire that we be set back on the path and set back in fellowship with you. We know that was your desire for Jonah. And, Father, we pray that we would know you and see you as you are. You are a good God who acts in knowledge and wisdom. And, Father, it is your prerogative to save people from their sin. And may we always rejoice in that. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.